there. Wesley's here. We, one of the missionaries we support is Wesley Nielsen, and Niels, uh, Wesley's with uh, People in Songs. You can enjoy his ministry on Spotify or Apple iTunes or whatever. Um, look up that group and listen to that. Um, so he's here for the week, but we support Wesley's ministry um, through More Than Words, and so that's another way that you can give and help with that. Um, so just make sure you're giving faithfully. Just a couple of things. Uh, where's Miss, Miss Veronica at? Do I miss her? Right here. Hey, here on the front row. I'm going to need a microphone for Miss Veronica. Veronica is going to talk to us about a ladies' event that's uh, coming up here this weekend. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome. Um, so today we'd love for you to sign up. If you haven't already, Love Came Down. It is our women's ministry Christmas dinner that will be held next, this coming Saturday at 6 o'clock. It'll be here at TSF. It's $5. You can sign up online or outside. There's a table there where you can sign up as well. We'd love for you to join us for that night. So if you haven't already signed up, sign up today. Thank there you. There we go. So ladies, make sure you get signed up for that for Saturday. Um, I'm just going to spitball here. I know we've got Uganda Child Sponsorships, and if you have already sponsored a child and you want to continue that sponsorship, we need to hear from you. Um, and I think we sponsor somewhere around 80, 85 kids, something like that. So many of you are doing that. So we're kind of giving you about three weeks to let us know that you want to continue that. If not, we're going to assume you don't. We're going to give your child away January 1st, okay? So just know that, um, that if you want to continue your sponsorship, you have to kind of RSVP back with us. Um, you should have received an email about that. Again, it's in the worship guide. Um, so make sure you let us know um, about that. Uh, there is an interest meeting for Uganda, I believe, next Sunday night, right? Or Sunday afternoon, I believe, um, on August, I mean, December the 8th. Um, so if you're interested in going to Uganda next year, and I know that sounds like a long way away, but it's like seven months from now. Um, if you're interested in that, if you ever had any questions about what that might even look like, um, you want to go to that meeting, okay? So make sure that you are there um, on December the 8th. I also tell you, Pastor James is going to be here in January, I believe. Um, so he'll be here with us in January. We're excited about that from Uganda. Um, so if you want to know about what that ministry might look like, uh, make sure that you are at that meeting on the 8th. And then uh, I think that's it for that, right? Um, we have our life's purpose stuff over here, the tree. There are still some gifts uh, available for you. I think we've got about five or six of the staff people um, that we still want to provide gifts for. So if you haven't done that, and you know what I want to do? I want to really pull out our, I want to call out our college kids and our teenagers. You have money. Don't tell me you don't have money. You have money, okay? Um, and it's your money. It's stuff that either been given to you or you've earned. We're talking like about a, a $20, $25, $40 gift card for someone. You can do something for the house. So really, I want to just really go after our college kids and our, our high school kids in particular. Make sure you guys come over here. Participate with what's going on in, in our church. So there's still ways for you to participate. So make sure after, the church, or after service today, you stop over there um, at the tree and get what you need over there, okay, to participate. That's on uh, the 22nd. We're going to host them here. Uh, so that means your gifts can start showing up on the 15th. So uh, like I said, there's a lot going on. We're going to start signing up for providing food for that day next week, all this kind of stuff. So uh, busy time of year. On your chairs, you have the devotionals. These start today. Um, they're quick. They're easy. We, I shared one this morning with our, our, uh, our servant team and our praise team around here today. They're fantastic, easy things to do at, at the dinner table or maybe in the morning or the evening. Take them. There's extras around the building. Please feel free to take as many as you want. If you want to give them to somebody this year, um, here at this time of year, uh, feel free to do that, okay? All right, so we're going to be in, start our sort of Christmas series um, as we look at this time of year and, and kind of maybe keep our focus, maybe I think, where it's supposed to be. Um, I would agree. I mean, like, I, we love, I love this time of year. 
This is a fun time of year. It's busy. Um, got back yesterday. I was outside sweating in the hot, putting up Christmas decorations, you know. Um, and, and so it's a weird time of year sometimes down here in, in southeast Texas. But it really is a great time of year. And, and I really personally just really like this time of year. It is a wonderful time of the year. But I would also say, you know, if you uh, look at media and you look at what's kind of going on in our world, there's, there's a lot of fear in our culture right now. Uh, there's a lot of things that are not wonderful, a lot of things that, that can lead us to being afraid um, at this time of the year. So there's things like antibiotic-resistant diseases, right? Things that, that we felt like we had kind of gotten a hold of um, that are now not even able to be treated with antibiotics anymore. So that's kind of scary. Um, Plug-in air fresheners, apparently you're supposed to be afraid of those things. Uh, the id clown, gluten, um, microplastics, you don't even know, some of you don't even know what that is, but it actually is pretty scary. Um, transsexuality. Uh, there are things in our culture that are frightening and that can keep us from seeing, I think, the wonder of this time of the year and who God is and his plan for us. And I think actually the original Christmas story or the Christmas story that I think we want to focus on is both of those things. And I want you to think about that first Christmas. Think about Joseph and the fear that he had. I want you to think about Mary. She talks about it and the fear that she had when she got that announcement. The shepherd's fear. Right? What's the very first thing the angels say? Don't be afraid. The fear that the angels had, or the shepherds had. The Herod's fear. The wise men's fear. Simon and Anna's fear. The fear of the world. That's part of the great story of Christmas is that the world lay in fear and in darkness when Christ came that first Christmas. So I think, I hope, what I want for you this Christmas starting today is for some of that fear to be replaced with wonder, a wonder of God's grace, wonder of the hope that God's given to us in this little baby, wonder at how God's mission has been given to us. He's taken his mission and he has transferred that mission to us and wonder how this one person that God may have in your heart might come to bring or to be forgiven this Christmas, that God has put a person in your life and in your heart and maybe, maybe through your influence and through what God wants to do in them, maybe they come to know Jesus this Christmas. So what is it that fills your heart with awe and wonder? G.K. Chesterton, very few of us have probably read him. He's an apologist, ridiculous thinker, um, newspaper man from the early 1900s. He wrote this. He said, The world will never starve for want of wonders, but only for want of wonder. It's not that there's things that we can't look at and be in awe of. It's that our heart doesn't crave for the things that we're supposed to crave for, that we don't have a sense of wonder in us very much anymore. This is a great time of year for kids, obviously. Um, a lot of wonder. That's one of the fun things about being around kids and having little ones when this, you're at this time of year, is that just seeing, uh, uh, just seeing a Christmas tree or driving down the street and all the Christmas lights and going to the mall or shopping and everything's decorated— and you just see it in their faces, you know, um, the wonder of this time of year. So you think about little kids, and they're thinking, I wonder how Santa carries enough toys in his sleigh for all the children in the world. I wonder how Santa gets into my house since I don't have a fireplace. I wonder why nobody can see Santa, which was a big deal in my house. My parents used to crack the window open just so Santa could get in, right? Wink, wink, right? I wonder why nobody can see Santa's house in the North Pole. I thought about that as I got a little bit older. I'm like, don't we have satellites and stuff? Couldn't we find this guy if we wanted to? 
And then as Christmas becomes more about Jesus, we think things like, I wonder where Jesus lived before he came to earth. I've had children ask me these kinds of questions. I wonder where Jesus, why Jesus was born in a stable instead of a hospital. I wonder how God became a baby. So even as children begin to kind of make that transition from the childhood, childlike things of Christmas to the more adult things of Christmas, they still have this sense of wonder about them. And that first Christmas was full of wonder, full of surprises and beauty. It was a time in history, human history, I would say that was just as dark and uncertain as the world that we live in today. There's a lot of parallels between that world in the first century and the world that we live in today. There was a pregnant teenager. This is the story, right? A pregnant teenager and her fiancé travel to a tiny town where the only place they can find for rest and for the birth is a stable. And in that stable, that young girl gives birth to a baby and he changes everything. And just think about the wonder of that. That's our Christmas story, by the way. That's our gospel message. That's our good news. That the world broken in darkness and in fear, that the hope that we have for you is a pregnant teenage girl who goes and gives birth in a dirty animal stall. And that little baby changes the world. There is something weird and wonderful about that, isn't there? The wonder of that story. Maybe our problem with Christmas isn't that we don't have something to wonder at, but that we're just looking in the wrong places. So John, the Gospel of John, which we're not going to look at today, but the Gospel writers in particular, John, Matthew, Luke, they, in, they encourage us when we need something to wonder about and wonder about at Christmas time, is to look at Jesus, the baby who was God in the flesh, and he came to live among us and to die so that we could have hope. That is something that ought to wake up our sense of wonder this Christmas how God could do that, why God would do that, and how we can experience that, I think, every day of our lives. Just like back then in that first Christmas, you know, there are still just billions of people. We looked at some of those numbers, I think, last week or the week before. There are billions of people wondering and wandering around at this time of the year, not knowing anything about God. Is God there? Does God care? Does God care about me? These are the real-life questions that people are asking this Christmas. And we have a unique opportunity at Christmas time, still in our culture, to talk about God and talk about spiritual things and not freak anybody out too much. So we have this wonderful opportunity that God's put in front of us this Christmas to potentially make a forever difference in somebody's life. So we're going to really drive... This morning is going to drive toward that, that idea that there is something wonderful at Christmas and there's somebody who needs to hear about it. In the backs of your chairs, I think you're going to find these envelopes and they're kind of scattered throughout. And inside those envelopes, you're going to have this little brown tag. And what I want to encourage you to do is I speak today, the entire time I'm speaking, I want you to be praying, God, who is my one? Now, we've done this before. This isn't an empty exercise for us. Who's my one? And I want you to think specifically Who's my one that I can influence this Christmas? Who's my one that I could maybe even invite to come to a Christmas Eve service? We're going to have two services this year. But God, who's the one that needs to know the hope of Jesus Christ in my life? Who's the one that you've given me that I'm supposed to be impacting this Christmas? And I want you to write their name on here, and later I'm going to give you some instructions, okay? But just begin to pray about that and think about that. And maybe write their name on that card. Just one, not 20, just one. The one that you're going to also commit to pray for the rest of the Christmas season for the next 25, 30 days at the very least. 
you're going to pray for them and you're going to ask God to reach out to them and to open their eyes to who Jesus is this Christmas, okay? So real quickly, we're not going to stay in this passage, but we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1 first. And this is going to be one of the more uh, recognizable Christmas stories that we have in Scripture. So I really wanted to just recap this uh, to remind us of what we're talking about. Then I want to look at something else. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says that now the birth of Jesus Christ was like this. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, so that's before they had sexual relationship, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now that is the, the, the Christmas story that we are all probably most familiar with. This one and the account in Luke are the ones that we're probably most familiar with. This is how that first Christmas happened, right? And there's others and the shepherds and the wise men, you know, we have all those parts of the story too. But do you ever wonder what was kind of going on? What else was going on in the world, in the universe? This is what's happening Y'all in a small town, and I've tried to explain to you before, Bethlehem is just nothing. It's like Rusk, Texas. Anybody ever been to Rusk? You pass through it, don't you? Like, here we go. There's the mental hospital, you know, and you pass right through it. Because there's nothing there. Bethlehem is that. You just pass through it. It is in the middle of nothing and nowhere. So in this tiny, tiny little town, something monumental is happening to an unwed, pregnant teenage girl in a dirty stall something unbelievable cosmic is happening do you ever wonder what was going on like what's the rest of the story right what's happening behind the scenes sometimes every now and then god will peel back the curtain and let us see a little bit of what's going on behind the scenes i don't think it's because those are the only time things that are happening there's just times where i think god's like you don't need to know about that but every now and then he'll crack it open and he'll go let me just show you what's actually going on and he does that for us about this story. So what we're going to do, we're going to spend our time in the book of Revelation, right? Which most of you probably don't read Christmas Eve. <laughs> Maybe we should. Look in Revelation. Revelation chapter 12. It'll be up on the screen for you. This is a Christmas story from a way different perspective. Okay? So let's read this real quick. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, gave birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems, or crowns. And his tail swept away a third of the stars in heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Sounds Christmassy. 
And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God into his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who was called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even when faced with death. For this reason rejoice, O heavens and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and to the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he is only a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the river which the dragon poured out of its mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children and who keep the commandments of God and who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Merry Christmas, right? Like, that is not, not a story that we normally associate with Christmas. And I want to kind of tie these two things together for us and maybe let us get, again, another clear picture of what's going on behind the scenes at Christmas time. So just sort of maybe a recap and talking about revelation. That word revelation just means to reveal. It means to unveil, to show us things that we can't normally see. And, and throughout the book of Revelation, there are prophetic things and we would say apocalyptic things and in the future things. I think some of those things are multiple fulfillment prophecies and, and there's correlating events in the past and correlating events in the future that haven't happened yet. It's revealing of God's plan and God's mission. The point of the book of Revelation isn't to you fill out your calendar and have your chart. We talked about that. That's not the point. The point of the book of Revelation is that Jesus wins and he is going to save his people. Amen? He has said in his mind, I am going to save people. I am going to redeem a portion of mankind. And the book of Revelation is, see, I do it. I do it. Like we know how the book ends, okay? So part of the book of Revelation is just revealing God's plan to save mankind, to redeem some of us from sin and from the fire, revealing of things behind the scenes. So we do get some really interesting and encouraging glimpses behind the scene of history here. That's one of the things that's weird about the book of Revelation, right? There's not a lot of clarity sometimes given between this is what's happening in reality on the earth physically that you see, and this is what's happening behind the scenes in correlation to things that are happening on the earth. We don't get that a lot uh, in the story, but we do get this wonderful picture of some things God's doing. So what was going on uh, in the spiritual realms at Christmas? We know there's the baby story, right? We know that physically there's a child born and that he will go and die on a physical cross 
right? And he will save mankind from their sins, perfect life, come back from the dead, be resurrected, and then go to heaven. What's going on in the spiritual realms? So again, let's get a little gl a glimpse here. I want to recap the, the verses we just read. Some of you are dying to know some of these things. What's up with the dragon and seven heads and ten things? Okay, let's just quickly run through this. Those numbers seven and ten are numbers of completion. So basically what I would say is for, for, for uh, uh, the first century readers who read that, what this is saying is whatever, whoever this dragon is, I think he's Satan, that he has a complete authority over the uh, rulers of the earth. That he, his place of authority is on this planet right now. And he's been given authority over man at this point. I don't think that this is a reference to Satan's original fall. If you read it in order, it doesn't make any sense that way. I think that this is a reference to the birth and the ministry of Jesus and the church, which we'll talk about as we continue to go. I think the stars, they're probably persecutors, are be believers who are persecuted and killed by evil forces during our current age. So everything from the time Jesus was born till the time Jesus comes back, the Satan, Satan uh, sweeps his tail, knocks these stars out of heaven, and I think those are representative of fallen believers, believers who have been killed for their faith and persecuted in particular. Rod of iron, it says this baby will come and rule with a rod of iron. That's the unbreakable rule of God's law. There's going to be a day when Jesus removes injustice from this world, and it will be a physical reign on this earth, and he will remove all injustice. And I think the other thing that comes along with that is the rule of love, the unbreakable rule of love, God's love known in justice and in righteousness on the earth, his love ruling our interactions with other people and our reactions to God's rule. Right now, I don't like God's rule, but there's going to be a day when I'm so overwhelmed by the sense of who he is and his perfection, his righteousness, and his love that I will respond in love to everything that he tells me to do. It's the rules that follow from love, and they come in love. It's unbreakable. Jesus will rule with that rod of iron, and that, rod, that rule is coming now in the hearts of those who follow him. Satan, what we get, if you haven't figured anything out from this text that we read in Revelation, Satan is determined to kill Jesus. There is a dragon waiting behind the donkey and the camel and the other little animals and the little drummer boy and the shepherds, there is a dragon waiting to consume that child the moment it's born. Satan is determined to kill Jesus. The other thing we don't read at Christmas time, not in our evangelical churches because we don't follow a church calendar, we don't do the mourning of the innocents. Right after Jesus is born, sometime in the first four or five years, Herod gets so spooked, what does he do? He sends his soldiers to kill all the children, kill all the male children in the village. Hundreds of children get massacred. Satan is determined to kill Jesus. So they run to, they flee to Egypt to get away, right? And then an angel comes and tells him to come back home. What happens while Jesus is alive? If you read the gospel accounts, there are multiple times that people want to kill him. They finally agree, we're going to kill this guy. Let's stone him right now. They're so angry at him. Satan is determined to kill Jesus. I'm going to buy, we, Mindy has a little precious moments. Anybody have precious moments stuff? Okay, we have precious moments nativity scene. I'm going to buy a little Drogon, and I'm going to put him <laughs> right there in my nativity set to complete the whole thing, right? You have this woman in the text here. 
there are references here to Eve. There are references here, I think, some to Mary. But I, prob- I think probably that it's, it's true believers of all time. It's the church. We might call it the church, and that includes us, the current crop of believers. Um, I think that's technically who the woman is um, throughout this text that we're reading here. So those are some of the things that we see in this text, and maybe that helps you understand it just a little bit more if you were to just plug those things in. So what is think, uh, Satan thinking here at Christmas time, especially that first Christmas? We see in this text, here comes this baby. I'm going to kill him. I'm not 100% convinced that Satan understood exactly the incarnation. I don't understand the incarnation, and I don't know if Satan did either, but he knew that something was happening. He knew that these signs were being fulfilled, the prophecies were going to come true, and that it was this baby. And he was going to make sure that that baby didn't survive. Even to the point where he waits 33 years, and then he finally gets him, doesn't he? Here comes this baby, I'm going to kill him. Let it work. Well, then I'm going to undermine him in every way that I can. I'm going to make his family think he's crazy. If you read the book of Mark, you'll see that his brothers and sisters thought he was nuts. I'm going to make his family think he's crazy. I'm going to make his people reject him. I'm going to make him an enemy of the ruling state. And I'm going to point everything I can against this guy. I will undermine him in every way I possibly can. Then I'll kill him. And then Judas comes along, and that heart is ripe. And on the Last Supper, if you read the book of John, it says that Satan entered Judas the night that he goes to betray Jesus. This is it. I get to kill him. That's what Satan is thinking at Christmas time. Satan being cast down here, I think it's a reference to Jesus defeating Satan. He gets cast down at the cross of Jesus Christ. Satan is defeated now. Now. Do you understand that? Do we realize that? He has already been defeated and cast down at the cross and now Michael and the angels and us we are enforcing the rule of Jesus Christ in the world right now fighting small skirmishes along the way to realize the final total victory we have here about the devil and it tells us what he's doing doesn't it this devil is cast down what does it say what does he do he accuses the believers before God day and night That's what he's doing right now. He's here attacking you. He sends his evil ones to come and to attack you and to fight his battles here in this world. And either he or his representatives are in front of God going, man, look at her. What a loser. You died for that? They rejected you again. They live for them. They love something more than you. Just like Job. Go read the book of Job. Constantly accusing us about us before God. And then he's accusing you to you when he comes and he tells you, you're a loser and you're no good. And God, how could God possibly love you? Why isn't everybody as good as you are? Why is everybody better than you are? He's constantly accusing you to you, right? Jesus has defeated him. He's still got his work that he's doing, but he is defeated. So what's wonderful about Christmas? We think about presents and Santa and great things and family and all that, and it is. But what's really wonderful about Christmas is that Satan has been defeated. And he tells us how he's been defeated here, right? He gives us three things. By the blood of the Lamb. Jesus Christ survives his birth, obviously, lives 33 years, dies on a cross, comes back from the dead, and he defeats Satan because of that. So by the blood of Jesus Christ, 
he is defeated. Not in anything you do, not by you being good, not by you keeping the commandments. Jesus has defeated Satan. Whether you choose to participate in that, in that is a different story. But he's already defeated. So by the blood of the Lamb. The second thing, he says, by the word of their testimony. Now this is interesting because I think what's happened in 20th, late 19th, early 20th, and then 21st century Christianity in the American South, now it's been shipped out all over the world, but started in the heart of Texas, by the way, is this idea that somehow or another, what I say is equally as powerful as what God says. That somehow my words carry the same weight and authority as the word of God. Here's what I would say about this. The word of your testimony isn't what you say. It's not what you dredge up from inside your soul. The word of your testimony is this. It's the, it's the truth of Scripture in our hearts and in our minds and in action. Repeated and repeated and repeated. Because here's this. Satan never tires. We talked about this several weeks ago. He never tires of playing that one string in your heart. Of plucking that same string over and over again. Inside, he never gets tired of it of saying to you that one thing over and over and over again. And he repeats that lie to you until it becomes your truth. He repeats that lie to you until you believe it. And it begins to define who you are. You're a terrible person. You're an awful Christian. You have too much doubt in your heart for God to love you. Your past is too bad. Your pain is too much. You're a failure. It is all lies by the father of lies and he sits on a throne of lies whose truth will you believe Satan and his evil ones have a truth they want you to believe and they never get tired of telling it to you over and over and over again Jesus has removed our condemnation and we are beautiful in his eyes. That's truth. Now, I can overcome Satan by the word of that testimony, or I can just continue to believe the lies that Satan wants to feed me all day long. How do I overcome? How do I participate in the defeat of Satan? The death, I've got to place my faith in what Jesus has done. Some of you are doing church and you're trying to be good. That is not the Christmas message. The Christmas message is, you stink so bad, God had to send his son to die for you and to come back to the, from the dead for you. And it's through that, through what he did, that you're saved. The first thing we have to do is cast our trust on that. The whole weight of what we believe about life and eternity on Jesus Christ. The second thing, here's what you have to do. To participate in the victory of Jesus, every time you say no to sin, Satan is defeated. Every single time you of your free will say, I will not participate in that which does not bring glory to God, Satan wins. I mean, God wins. You participate in the defeat of Satan. Every time the Holy Spirit gives you the power to flee temptation, every time you repent, every time you in shame fall on God's grace for forgiveness, and then you get up and you live differently in confidence that you are the child of God, Satan is defeated. Every time you begin to hear these little lies, nobody cares for you. You should take your own life. Your marriage will never be satisfying. Your little church will never make it. 
I've heard that one for a long time, Jimmy. When you hear those lies over and over and over and over again and it becomes your truth, Sam Storm said this, when Satan is telling you God doesn't love you anymore, not after you failed so many times, you lift up the shield of faith and you say, that's impossible. God's love for me can't cease to exist because he demonstrated it for me when he gave his son to suffer in my place. The shield of faith functions whenever I say to the enemy, I'm going to believe God when he tells me that there is great gain in godliness and therefore I will not fall prey to your seductive temptations. I overcome Satan and I participate in his defeat when I repeat the testimony of God to my heart over and over and over again. For every time you remind yourself in faith of the gospel, every time you remind yourself that you have been reborn in the image of Jesus Christ, every time you remind yourself of Romans 8, 38, I am convinced, what are you convinced of? That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor powers, nor principalities, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate me from the love of God that's in Jesus Christ our Lord. I participate in defeating Satan. He's telling me I don't matter and God doesn't love me. Scripture says something else. The gospel tells me something else. Every time I say to myself, you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, but God made you alive with Jesus. He forgave you of your sins, having canceled the charge of your dead and indebtedness, which stood against you and it condemned you. Jesus has taken it away. And he's nailed it to the cross. And he has disarmed the powers and the authorities. That's Satan. He has disarmed past tense. He has already disarmed you, Satan. He's already unthroned you, Satan. And he has made you a public spectacle, triumphing over you by the cross. That's Colossians chapter 2. Every time I say to my soul, this is truth, and your lies are not truth, I participate in the defeat of Satan by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. Amen? The third one is, this is weird, verse 11, odd. We wouldn't think this. For this reason, or see, uh, they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb, because of the word of their testimony. Here's the third one. And they did not love their lives even when faced with death. These are believers who have been killed for their faith. And you're like, oh, they didn't win, they lost. How is martyrdom, we call that martyrdom, people not just dying, people who are dying for their faith. How is being a martyr defeating Satan? Because Satan sees the death of a believer as, I win. Do you understand that? That's why he's trying to kill us. That's why he wants to do away with this. Because he sees our demise, especially when it's for the faith. He's like, I, I win, I beat him. But what happens when we die as believers? We don't die. All we do is actually confirm that he's already been defeated. Every time a believer dies for the faith, it literally confirms the defeat of Satan. And here's what you need to understand about this. Satan is in a total war philosophy. You know what total war is? Not only do you attack and kill the army, you go and you burn every village and you rape every woman and you cut off the hands of every little boy so he can never hold a sword and you gouge out the eyes of mayors and every little leader and every... It is total warfare. You burn everything in sight. That is Satan's strategy. Some of you think he's playing tiddlywinks or there's some kind of rules involved here. 
right? Hey, you can't hit behind, below the belt. That's against the rules. No, no, no. He's coming, dude. He's kicking, fighting, scratching, clawing. And if you're unassailable, he will come after what you love most in this world. He doesn't care. It's a total war philosophy that he has adopted. And that means that he will kill you if he has the opportunity to. And he thinks, I win every time I kill a believer. When in reality, we rise up from the grave like, I win. Because you don't get me for eternity, dude. Right? There's a dude somewhere in scripture, I'm pretty sure. Jesus has secured our victory over death. That's how we have defeated Satan, how he's been defeated. Verse 17, we talked about it a second ago. So what's the dragon doing now? He's enraged with the woman, the woman being the church, believers for all eternity. He is enraged with the woman, me and you. He's not sad, he's not upset, he's not disappointed, he's enraged with you. He is enraged with the woman. Also interesting, isn't he? He's not enraged with God or Christ. He's enraged with the woman, the church. He's enraged with us. What does he do? He goes off to make war with the rest of her children. That's us who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. What's going on behind the scenes at Christmas? That first Christmas, Satan wants to devour that child, and when he recognizes 30 years later, potentially, but maybe that first day, I'm not going to get this guy. I'm not going to win this particular battle. I'm going to take it all out on his children. I'm going to take it all out on these believers. Listen, it is a call to war for Satan. I don't know how this works in the heavenlies or Satan's view of history. Whatever he thought prior to that December night in maybe 3 AD, whatever he thought he had won prior to that or he might win in the future, when he recognizes I'm not going to win that, for him it becomes like World War II in the Pacific where the Japanese just threw everything at us. That's Satan's mentality right now. He is making war against Christ's followers. He hates you. And he's coming to kill you, to defeat you, to discourage you, to discredit your Savior in your failures. And this is what you need to understand. He wants to discourage as many people as possible, the one that you want to pray for. He wants to discourage them by pointing out to them how big of a loser you are. Every time you willingly choose to disobey God, Satan takes us as an opportunity to take God's uh, reputation and drag it through the mud. Satan, he plays dirty. We see grace. He sees an opportunity to make somebody else stay away from Jesus. Christmas is Satan's war cry. However sweet and fun and happy and merry Christmas is, and it is, it's also a reminder, guys, that this is not a game. You might be playing a game, but Jesus and his rod, his iron rod, and Satan, his dragon, they're not playing a game. One of them is intensely committed to his own glory by loving you and giving you victory over Satan 
and the other one is eternally devoted to discouraging you and to preventing you from knowing the love of God and the victory of God in your life. That's what's going on behind the scenes at Christmas time. That's where Satan is coming from at this time of the year. It says that they died, and there's a sense here. Do you get the sense here that these people have died somewhat willingly? I don't think they're, they're looking to die, but when it comes and it's for their faith, there's some kind of serene peace that has overcome these people. Why? It says it in verse 11, because they didn't love their life. They didn't love their life. There's a willingness for these people to give up good things for the sake of better things. The willingness for them to sacrifice life itself because Christians, life is not the most valuable thing to us. Do you get that? Breathing and being here for children and grandchildren and husbands and what This is not the greatest thing. This is a shadow of reality. Some of us have made this the ultimate. These people understood. My life is not worth clinging to if I have to betray Jesus. They would rather die than give an inch of ground in their hearts to Satan. Satan can't beat a heart like that. He can have no victory in a heart like that. There is nothing so precious to me that I will give Satan victories, not even life itself. Now think about that. Some of us, entertainment is more precious than Jesus. Some of us, our sexuality is more precious than Jesus. Money, job, significance, whatever. We'll sacrifice a lot to have those things in our lives and hope Jesus blesses them along the way. Here's the big, big truth of Christmas. There is not anything more precious than Jesus. There is no greater treasure. There is nothing more beautiful than Jesus. Nothing. No one. Satan, now listen, Satan can only win when I love this life more than I love Jesus. The things here that I love more than I love Jesus, that's where Satan gets victories. Those are the places I crack the door open for him. And I let him have entry into my heart. So here's what's going on behind the scenes. At your little manger and the nativity and gifts and a starry night. And here's what's really happening. Jesus is beautiful. He is captivating. He is wonderful. He is the most soul-satisfying thing or person I could ever have. When I love lesser things, I'm going to believe lies to keep those things. I will tell lies to keep those things. I will listen to liars to be encouraged to pursue those things. And I am defeated by Satan's lies and the lies I begin to tell myself. When I love things less, lesser things than Jesus is, Jesus is greater. When I love lesser things, I will do anything to have it and keep it and get more of it. And James chapter 1 says, eventually, I lie to myself. Jesus coming into the world, he just undoes my idols. 
He undoes the loves that I have for other things, and he shatters Satan's ability to have a hold on my heart. He has defeated Satan, even his ability to make me, encourage me to love things that are less than Jesus. He shatters the ability he has to do that. Now listen, this isn't theoretical or philosophical or theological or academic. Today, right now, what lies are you listening to? What lies are you telling yourself? What liars are you hanging out with? Who's telling you you're not able to be any different? You're not able to be better. You're not able to be healthy. You can't be loved. You can't love other people. You can't be holy. Who says it's not possible to sin? Who tells you you can't overcome your addictions? Whose lies are you listening to? And then the second thing I want to ask you is, what is more beautiful and precious to you than Jesus? That is the most practical thing I think any preacher could ever ask you as a Christian. What is more precious to you than Jesus? What is more captivating of your dreams and your goals and your aspirations than Jesus? I also think this, every medical issue that we have, every educational issue, emotional issue, relational issue that we have behind the scenes is something spiritual and I want to tell you, Jesus has already defeated that thing that's giving you that problem. He has already won. You can believe the lies that if I lose this, my life is over, or you can believe the truth. Even if my life is over, it's just beginning. Because Jesus has already won. J.B. Phillips, some of you have read his New Testament. He did a translation. He wrote a little book called The Visited Planet, I believe. And in that, he talks about these two angels that go throughout all creation. They go all over the whole universe, and they see the most amazing things, things that we're just now seeing, right, with our telescopes and stuff. And they see the, the beginning of the universe, right, the core of the universe, and spiral galaxies and blob galaxies and all this stuff. And they go all, they're just amazed, and there's sort of a more senior angel and a younger angel. And they come to a little small spiral galaxy on the edge of the universe, to a very small solar system that has about eight and a half or nine planets. We're still trying to figure that out. And he takes them and he says, the older one says, see that little blue dot? That's where our Savior went. And the younger one looks at it and he says, do you mean that our great and glorious prince went down in person to this fifth-rate little ball? Why would he do something like that? He says, do you mean to tell me that he stooped so low as to become one of those creeping, crawling creatures on that floating ball? And the older one looks at him and says, and I, I do. And I don't think he would like you calling them creeping, crawling creatures. For strange as it may seem to us, he loves them. He went down to visit them, to lift them up so that they could become like him. And the little angel looked blank. Such a thought was almost beyond his comprehension. Christmas is wonderful, guys. It's amazing. Because the God of the universe stooped down to us so that we could have victory over Satan and death. So we sing songs and we have texts in our Bibles that say, Unto us a child is born, right? Unto us a son, is given, a son is given, and his name shall be Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, 
you're paying any attention and you know your Handel's Messiah or you know the book of Isaiah, you know that's a misquote. What's his name? Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful Counselor. That's what happens at, at Christmas time. That's why this time of year is so amazing. What's going on behind the scenes at Christmas? It's more wonderful than we can imagine, than we can even comprehend. At Christmas, both God and Satan are pointing out your sins. You ever thought about that? Both of them at Christmas are saying, look at your sins. Satan to condemn us, right? To go, look how awful you are. God could never love you. God to go, you are broken beyond repair. I've done everything possible, everything needed and necessary for you to be with me forever. Don't let your sins keep you from coming to me. Our sins are the very things that drive us to God, not that keep us away from him. Both God and Satan are pointing out our sins. Satan wants to destroy you with them, to derail everything that God wants to do in your life. God wants to bring you to Jesus and to make sure, to ensure that his work in you is completed. Now, when we understand this, when we get this is what Christmas is about, first of all, our worship ought to be ridiculous. Like when we come in here and sing on Sundays for the next three weeks, it should be it's like blowing the roof off this place, guys. What Jesus has done for us is, is crazy amazing. You should not be bored when you're telling him how great he is. That's the first thing that ought to happen. Our praises ought to reflect the wonder of Jesus in our hearts. The second thing that should happen, we should want to tell somebody, right? We should want to walk out of here and tell somebody. I love those miracles that Jesus does. He does it in Mark in particular. He'll do a miracle and he'll go, okay, no, don't tell anybody, right? Raises a little girl from the dead. He says, don't tell anybody I did that. Heals a blind man, heals a guy with leprosy, and he's like, don't tell anybody. When you explode, I have to tell somebody. I have to walk out of here and tell somebody what Jesus did for me. When you understand the wonder of Christmas, evangelism ought to grip your heart. You ought to be an unshakable drive in you to go tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. Amen? So we want to help you with that. We want to encourage you with that. We want to give you positive peer pressure toward that, okay? I asked you earlier to write down a name on that little slip that you've had. And we're going to spend a, a few moments, Jimmy can play, and, and we just think a few moments and just begin to pray, God, who's my one this Christmas? Who could I invite to a Christmas Eve service? Who could I give a gift? Maybe it's the devotional on the chair. I, I don't know what it is, God, but whatever it is, who needs to know about the wonder of Jesus this Christmas? Who could I influence for Jesus this Christmas? Just one. God, just give me one, because you know what? He's got three and a half billion. <laughs> That's the, those are the statistics. Statistically, half the world's population doesn't know Jesus, and many of them live right around us. Amen? God, who's my one? Who can I have some influence on for the gospel? Say a prayer, ask the Lord, we'll give you some instructions. as a church our approach at Christmas needs to be there's one more who needs to know there's one more who needs to know one more who 
Jesus came to save. One more who he put in my life that I can influence, that I can reach out. One more who needs to know and needs to come in. We're going to do our best here to prepare for that, to tell people about Christ, to encourage them to come to Jesus. He's the only hope that we have. And we're going to do our best to do that here as a church. But what we are asking you to do is to join the fight. This is not a game. We're asking you to join the fight with us, to invite one person. This is as simple as I can make it. Just begin to pray now. God, give me one person I can invite to come to church Christmas Eve. It's a simple prayer, isn't it? By the way, you don't fail if they say no. Right? God's going to use you. It's not about whether they come or not, is it? It's about they hear, they know you care, tell them you're praying for them, whatever it is. God, give me one person that I can invite to come with me to Christmas Eve or Christmas or Christmas season. Join the battle. And this is behind the scenes. What happens out there is an invitation. Behind the scenes is prayer. Your stuff isn't worth as much as the gospel. Your money isn't as worth as much as the gospel. Your Christmas experience isn't as worth as much as the gospel is. We love Christ more than our lives, so we will pray for one, just one, that we can invite to come with us. There's one more. One more. You realize this, Jesus says, New Testament says, why hasn't God come back yet? Why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Because he's waiting for the fullness of his children to come into the church. That means there's one more. There's at least one more. Because when there's not one more, he comes back. I don't know who that is, and neither do you. Don't be lazy, and don't get sucked into this world and think that the battle's over. The battle is still being fought, and you're part of that, and I'm part of that. you don't want to be a part of this i would say this for church our church members people who consider tsf to be your home if you don't want to be a part of this you're just going to be playing a game while everybody else goes off to war that's the picture we have isn't it that there is a battle being fought and it centers around the person of jesus christ and his church so either you're going to join us in doing battle or you're going to keep playing a game i'm encouraging you to get in today Get into the battle today. Pray. Ask God, give me one. Here's what I'd like us to do. We're going to do this and actually be dismissed today. On your way out. Try not to chit-chat and start to visit in here. You can do that outside. Take that one, and I want you to just come up and put it on the wreath and grab a little prayer card. There's a, a card up here. Take home with you. It's got five or six prayers that you can pray for your one this Christmas. And think about it. I'm going to ask them to come with me sometime this Christmas. I'm going to invite them to come. Okay? God bless you guys. Let's get into the battle. Let's fight. Come hang your cards up here. Pray for your one. God bless.